You'll remember I looked at the meaning and significance of the donkey and how that played into it. And I talked about how we have these built-in associations with animals. Um, tonight, I thought I would do the same thing uh, with the meal that Jesus institutes during his Last Supper. Foods also have built-in associations with them, don't they? When you think of turkey, you think of Thanksgiving, elaborate cakes, wedding receptions, and fine dining as a date night, popcorn and movies, and on and on we could go. So here's my question. Do you think this meal that we call communion was chosen arbitrarily? Of course it was not. As we remember the night when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, let's spend a few moments together pondering the significance of what he actually instituted in this meal. And I have three brief thoughts for us to consider. We're going to look at bread for our fulfillment, wine for our forgiveness, and promise for our future. Let's start with the bread of the meal, bread for our fulfillment. It says, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now these words speak to our hunger, obviously. And the implication, of course, is that we come to this meal not satisfied, but wanting And I hope you are self-aware enough this evening to recognize that this is true for you. Your discontentment in life, your restlessness, your unhappiness, your resentment, your envy of others. Do you know what all of that is? These are the hunger pains of your soul. Like your stomach growling, For food, these are the grumblings of our soul, desperate for soul sustenance. And what everyone is essentially trying to do, Augustine would argue, Pascal would argue, so many theologians would argue, what everyone is essentially trying to do in life is feed that deep soul hunger. But the great tragedy of the human plight However, is that everywhere we turn, there is no fulfillment to be found, so it seems. But that does not stop us from trying. We feast on prosperity, hoping to find satisfaction and wealth and comfort and possessions. Many of us feast on family, seeking to find satisfaction in spouse and children, grandchildren. We feast on Decadent pleasures, seeking to find satisfaction in these lusts of the flesh. We, we feast upon vanity, seeking to find satisfaction in being noticed in beauty and fame. We feast on success, hoping to find satisfaction in our accomplishments and recognitions. And on and on I could go with these pursuits. And yet, the hunger only deepens, does it not? These vain quests are junk food to the soul. A brief moment of satisfaction, and then hungrier and sicker. Augustine says, all men seek satisfaction, even while we live so as to make satisfaction impossible. Why do we keep doing this to ourselves? Why do we keep coming back 
to these idols that cannot fill us. To quote Isaiah, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me, Isaiah says. Eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Well, what is good for my soul? What is this rich food the Bible speaks of? Jesus holds out the bread and says, take, eat. This is my body for you. The language is not unique to this moment. Jesus already declared himself to be the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. He presents himself as the only means to satisfy the deepest hungers of our souls. Not just our Savior, but our very sustenance. So as he holds out the bread that is himself, he is holding out to you the end of your exhausting and maddening search for satisfaction. He is saying to a weary, restless, ravenous crowd this evening, let me fill you. And so partaking of the bread in this meal is an act of repentance. It's saying I give up. I can no longer bear the hunger pains of my soul. I am sick and tired of the emptiness offered in worldly counterfeit meals. I'm coming to you, Jesus, the bread of life. Would you fill me? And Jesus, every time we come to this meal, is there to say, yes, I will. He is bread for our fulfillment. Secondly, wine for our forgiveness. There's another fundamental need that every single person here has, not just to be filled, but to be forgiven. And Jesus is offering that at dinner as well. He holds up the cup of wine, and he says this in verse 28, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now there's an assumption that he is making there, and speaking candidly, it's not a flattering one. If the promise is forgiveness of sins then Jesus must think that you have sins that need to be forgiven. This table is set for sinners and sinners alone. Now, everyone is a sinner, but not everyone is willing to own up to that. He said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The implication is that not all will drink from the cup of his forgiveness. Why? Because some are righteous and don't need it, while other of us are sinners and do need it? No, that's nonsense. You know it. It's because some will admit it and others will not. The wine of this meal is only for those who will admit their sins and turn to Jesus for forgiveness. That is to say, in order to partake of this meal, you must admit that you have no business at this meal with Jesus. Please understand, we do this every week. And we're going to do it tonight. But please understand, this meal is not designed to to stroke your self-esteem. It does to us the opposite of what our world's advice to you is. It is here to call you a failure, not a success. It is here to declare you don't have what it takes. And quite frankly... Many of us are just unwilling to accept that, unwilling to admit what this says about you. 
So many of us choose instead to defend, to blame, to cover, to deflect, to deny, to lie, to hide, but never, ever, ever tell the truth. The truth that yes, on a most fundamental level, I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. But to those who are willing to tell the truth about themselves, we find something astounding at this table. He pours us wine. The universal sign of celebration and gladness and warmth and welcome. Psalm 104, bless the Lord who gives wine to gladden the hearts of men. Instead of condemnation that we deserve, Jesus is here to pour us a glass of wine. Inviting us to drink deeply of the intoxicating good news that he forgives sins. But as you know, this wine comes at a cost. He offers it free to us, no doubt. You don't have to pay to come to this meal. It is free. But it is the most expensive wine ever offered because it is purchased by the blood of Jesus. Again, he says, this of the wine, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This wine demands his blood. When he offers us this blessed cup of forgiveness, he is conceding to the dreaded cup of indignation. The Bible uses imagery of wine in two ways. Usually, it is spoken of as a sign of God's blessing. But there are instances of it used as a sign of God's wrath. That's where we get the term, the grapes of wrath. These passages of Scripture that speak of this dreadful cup of vile, toxic, poisonous wine that the enemies of God will be forced to drink and they will stagger and they will fall. And so after Jesus offers the cup of forgiveness, he exits to Gethsemane's garden, falls to the ground, and with agony that sweats blood, pleads, let this cup pass from me. That cup, sinner, is the cup you deserve. And I deserve. But instead, we are given the wine of salvation. And Jesus is left to drink the wine of God's damnation. I want to read a passage from Donald McLeod's book on the person of Christ, where he describes this moment in Gethsemane. McLeod says this, What Christ saw in Gethsemane was God with his sword raised. The sight was unbearable. In a few short hours, he would stand before that same God answering for the sin of the world. Indeed, identified with the sin of the world. No one has ever feared death so much as this man. Death would be for him the full wages of sin. Death unmodified and unmitigated. Death as involving all that sin deserved. He alone would face it without a covering. As a holocaust, totally exposed to God's abhorrence of sin. Brothers and sisters, never forget the price of that tiny plastic cup you sit from this evening and every Sunday. He told us, do this in remembrance of me. It's on the front of the table. Do this in remembrance of me. So let us never forget. Remember your Savior in the garden pleading. Remember your Savior on the scaffold screaming. Remember your Savior on the cross bleeding. Remember your Savior weeping. Remember your Savior suffocating. And remember your Savior succumbing. 
not merely to death, but to wrath. Remember, as often as you drink it, the cost of this wine. Bread for our fulfillment, wine for our forgiveness. Finally, there is a promise for our future. The thing about the sacrament is that it's not very filling. It's powerful, but I wouldn't call it much of a banquet. But maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe it is meant to leave us wanting for more. Maybe it's not the feast. Maybe it's the appetizer. A foretaste of the fullness designed to whet our appetite for the eschaton. I believe that that is its purpose. Jesus says this in verse 29. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so in this way, there is an actual built-in frustration to communion. A frustration to the sacraments. What's frustrating about communion is that it's not full communion. Oh, he is here by his spirit and we rejoice in that, but this is not the fullness we long for. We are thankful for this bread that represents the fullness of life that Jesus promises, but what we really want is the actual fullness of life. Full forevermore. We are thankful for this cup that represents the assurance of forgiveness of sins. But what we really want is that future state of sinlessness. We are thankful for the mysterious sense of Christ's presence in the meal. But what we really want is the actual presence of Christ. I don't want a piece of bread. I don't want a sip of wine. I want the heavenly banquet. And I want it with Jesus. I want actual communion, as in the actual presence at the table, where we raise our glasses and toast to the end of sin and Satan, where we feast and laugh and cry and tell stories of grace. So thank you, God, for the sacrament of communion, but hasten the day of literal communion. Well, the meal ends with that very promise. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. In those words, Jesus means to awaken your hearts and lift your expectations of what is to surely come. We will have our feast and we will have our Jesus. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Do you know what he is saying there? Jesus is fasting until he can feast with you. Now, please listen to me. Jesus will have his feast. He will not be denied the reward of his suffering. He will have his feast. But he will not begin until you are there to celebrate with him. So trust me, he's going to get you there. You will see this day because Jesus has declared this day is incomplete without you. Do you know how amazing that is? When Jesus says, in my Father's kingdom, he is speaking of the consummation of all redemption. And the promise he gives his disciples and us is that consummation, that newness in the Father's kingdom is contingent in part upon your arrival. That is to say, the fullness of God's kingdom is not full without you. He looks at you, traumatized by this world, 
Weak and wounded by the fall, besieged by doubts, filled with regrets, barely hanging on, faltering, failing, sinning. He looks at you in all your mess and says, that one, I want that one at my party. And my party doesn't start until that one gets here. Which means all of heaven is waiting for you. Your seat is reserved and no food will be served and no wine will be poured until you are with him at that table. Believe me, he's going to get you there. That feast is your future. Now, until that feast, let us keep the feast. I know your souls are hungry for the sacrament. I will not keep you any longer. Let me pray and ask God to bless our meal. And so, Jesus, would you lift our eyes to you, the bread of life, we repent of our counterfeit idols and ask you to fill us. Let us look to you, your blood offered in this wine. We trust your forgiveness is sufficient. And would you open our eyes and lift our hearts toward that banquet that is to come, where we will actually get to commune with you in a literal sense. Hasten the day, Lord Jesus. Until then, we bless you for this meal that has been kept throughout the ages. And now, Lord, we keep the feast again this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.